My name is Brenda Fellman, and we're going to be doing uh, verse 1 of uh, chapter 14. Hachmot Nashim Banta Beta Vivelet Biodeha Tehersenu. The intent of this observation is to warn young men from associating and marrying foolish women. Uh, the contrast between wise and foolish runs throughout the book. It is interesting to note that uh, the plural for wisdom is used and the plural for women is used. Uh, and the Targum translates the two words as hakimta dinashaya, the wisest among women. And this is also used in Shoftim, where we have Aim Sisra asking, Maduach Boshesh Rechvo Lavo, the Hachmot Sarotecha Te'anena. So it's the wisest among women. What is interesting is to note is the contrast between the wise and the foolish applied to women in their role in the home. Uh, I would say more in the in the household, the woman is responsible for building up the house. Uh, for the relationships within the house. And, and we shall note this more And the last parak of Mishle, Eshet Chayel, where the woman is just more than a homemaker. She also works in the marketplace. Um, the Rashi applies this verse, interesting, Hachmot Nashim Banta Beta. He says women who build up their home um, would be an example for that, would be own. Uh, ben, the wife of Om Ben Pelet, uh, where she advises her husband not to get involved with uh, Korach, whereas the evil woman, or the more so the foolish woman, uh, the woman of folly, uh, would be Eshet Korach, and she causes her husband's downfall. This is according to uh, the Talmud Bavli in Sanhedrin. The other examples uh, that I noted for women who help build up their uh, households would be um, Yocheved, uh, uh, because she was Zocheh to have three children, Moshe, Miriam, and Aaron, all who were Nevi'im, and also she's considered a Venisha who banta betacha. Another woman would be Devorah, um, who's also uh, helped build up her house, whereas the Ivelet, or the foolish woman, would be someone like Eshet Haman Zeresh, who advises Haman uh, to hang Mordechai on a tree, or Izebel Eshet Achav, um, and these women destroy the house instead of building it up. We also saw that an adulterous woman can destroy a household also. So this essentially is praising the woman who builds and the foolish woman as one who tears down and destroys uh, the texture or the uh, uh, fabric of family life. In this parak, we're going to have the phrase Yerei Hashem three times, which is a lot for one parak in Tanakh. And I think it deserves a little attention as to just what's meant 
when a Tanakh uses the phrase Yirei Hashem or Yirei Elohim, it does not just mean fear. It means more like knowing what the right course of action is. When Yosef, who's acting like the viceroy of Egypt, tells his brothers, Es Elohim Ani he means I'm a God-fearing man in the sense you, that you can count on me to do the right thing. When Abraham says to Abimelech that the reason he presented Sarah as his sister instead of his wife was Rak ain Yirat Elohim he meant that you can't trust the people here to do the right thing. So don't think of this phrase as meaning something that is characterized by fear, shaking, trembling. It's just a phrase that that essentially means to act in the way that Hashem would want you to act. So a person who is that type of person walks a straight path. A person who's crooked in their path scorns Hashem. As we all know from our early yeshiva education, is a 17th century perush on Rashi that made it into the Makrokadolo and is part of our Girsata, the Yankuta. The Pasuk means that inside the mouth of the Avil is a branch of pride, meaning their tongue. But the lips of the wise guide over them. In other words, watch over them. The, the fool the, is, uses their tongue to boast when they have nothing to boast about. Wise people use their lips to protect them. There's a few of this also that the lips close the mouth and the tongue sticks out of the mouth. Alafim in Tanakh does not just mean thousands. It also means units. And most important in this Pasuk and elsewhere, it means shore. Uh, an ox, okay? Shagar alafecha va'ashterot zonecha. Without a shore, your crib where the food is supposed to be for the animals is going to be clean, meaning there'll be nothing in it. Uh, if you want to have enough produce to feed your household and basically to really produce a good crop, you have to have invest in crop animals that basically are going to have the strength to do the work that's required after plowing and pull the plow as well. In other words, you have to invest in order to basically realize a profit and that 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 applies to uh, farming, that applies to business. You have to, you know, to to spend money to make money as many business people say. And of course, the interesting thing about this pasuk is that Mishlei, altogether for 915 verses, has eight sedarim. The sedarim are the traditional way of dividing up Tanakh. Uh, remember, chapters are an invention of the Christian Church, and 
a seder has a little samach to the left of it in a current tanach or in a chorev tanach or if it doesn't have a samach, it'll have a number of the seder, you know. And the question is, why would they start a seder here? And the answer is most likely that they saw this verse as a metaphor for Torah. That if you want to basically learn Torah, you have to basically put the work into it. You have to put a lot of work into it. You have to work as hard on it as you, as an ox works on plowing a field. Uh, if you don't basically do the work, then you're going to have a clean crib, meaning they'll have nothing in, inside your head. Ein hamunim lo yechazev ksavim eid sheker. As we pointed out, yafiach is another word for aid, and yechazev is the key word here. Yechazev in a Tanakh, kazav, you know, is one of the many words for lie in a Tanakh, but kazav has a, has a, has a sort of a, a uh, connotation of disappointment. In other words, that a person thinks that what's being said is true, but it really is not going to. It's, in fact, it comes from Macha Achziv rather than Macha Eitan. And Macha Achziv is an Acha that you can't rely upon for the water to flow with it. And Macha Eitan is one you can so rely. So, you know, a, a trustworthy aid is not going to disappoint. The one who is, you know, proceeds to tell you you know, lies and disappointments, false witness, is is bound to disappoint. The scoffer looks for wisdom and can't find it because he scoffs even when he hears it. But the wise person finds it very easy to acquire wisdom. Keep well clear of a fool because you will not find wisdom there. The wise person understands where to go, but the folly of the kasil, of the fool, leads them into a astray. It also could mean, another possibility, is that Mirma is precisely the eveleth of Kesilim. In other words, how do you know a person is exil? Because they try to fool other people. But of course, sooner or later, people get wise to them. And then it's like the boy who cried wolf. People don't pay attention or don't believe anything they say. So a point is reached when their entire you know, their entire way of doing things backfires on them. Evilim yelitz asham, uvein isharim ratzel. Asham does not mean guilt, it means the punishment for guilt. Okay, when you, when the brothers say, aval ashemim anachnu al achinu, they don't mean we are guilty. It means we are now being punished for what we did. Now that Yosef has thrown a whole lot of them into prison to cool off for a while. Um, so the Avio makes fun of the possibility of punishment. Yelitz in the sense of mitlotzeitz. They mock at it. But the Yisharim, they're the ones who enjoy Hashem's favor because they understand 
that they want to please Hashem and they don't make fun of the possibility of punishment. Leiv yodea marat nasho uvesimchato lo yit aravzar. This is a great mashal. The heart owes its own bitterness, and no stranger can really share its joy. Midrash takes this to mean chana. marat nefesh Hashem no one could really understand how bitterness she much she felt except Hashem. Elkanah, her husband, says, "What are you so? Why are you crying about so much?" But that's not going to comfort her, will it? You know, and of a simchatolo yitaravzar. When Hannah finally had children, you don't get the feeling that Penina was jumping for joy about it. Beit Rishayim Yishamed, Ba'oha Yisharim Yafriach. The house of the wicked is destroyed, and the tent of the righteous blooms and prospers. Sadik Katama Yifrach, Yifrach, Ke'eres Ba'avanon Yisgeh. Yesh Derech Yashra Lifneyitz, Fa'acharita, Dark came of it. Sometimes people in their own eyes think the path that they're traveling is just exactly the right one because they haven't really thought out what the possible consequences of the path are. But the truth is the future of this path is going to lead them to destruction and to death. Now, here again, the word acharit in Matanach does not mean the end of days. The word atid doesn't exist in the Tanakh, so when the Tanakh wants to say the future, they say acharit, meaning what's going to come afterwards. Acharit tayamim just means days of the future. It's the translation, the end of days, is incorrect. The idea of the previous pasuk is repeated in different words here which means even when a person laughs, it may end up causing them pain, and joy can end in grief. Uh, the, the point of the proverb is that things aren't always what they seem. Something that you might laugh at or smile at at first, when you think about it, you realize this was nothing to smile about. Something you might think is joyous at first, after a little reflection, turns out sometimes not to be nearly as happiness-causing as one thought it was at the beginning. Reflection leads people to realize that things are quite different than they might have looked at the beginning. A good Tanakh example of the above is Mechirat Yosef. When the brothers did that, they came home happy, but in the end, they weren't so happy after they realized the consequences of what they had done. And uh, Yosef, of course, was unhappy, but at the end of his life, he realized that that was the path to his greatness. Most Rav Cook reads Me'alav as a mem missing because there's already a mem there. So it should be read as Umi Ma'alav Ishtov. In other words, a person who is Nasoglev, 
goes backwards, goes away from Hashem, you know, Nasogachor, is satisfied with their ways, but the fact is that they're going to end up getting the fruits of their ways, whereas the good person also gets the fruits of their ways because they're good. Another example of this type of structure is Adirim Mishbrayam, which means Adirim Mi Mishbrayam. In other words, a mem is dropped when it's going to mean you have to have two mems in a row. Peti Ya'amin L'chodavar Va'arum Yavin La'ashuro. Peti means a simple person. Does not mean uh, that it's not considered to be negative the way an avil would be or kasil would be. It just means a person who isn't wise in the ways of the world and is gullible. Uh, however, it also means that they can fall into traps. And that's why in Tehillim it says, Shomer Petayim Hashem. Sometimes the only thing that saves them is Hashem. Yaakov is only saved from Lavan's wiles by Hashem. But the clever man understands things correctly and takes their paths with dis- path with discretion. Uh, Ashir here means a step. Chacham yarei v'sar meira u'kasil mitaber u'voteach. Unlike the petty, the wise man is aware of what evil can cause, and so makes certain to avoid it, but the fool deliberately starts arguments and from the word evra and and is certain that nothing is going to happen to them. Of course, you know, the opposite is actually true. What hit bear is to get involved in something you, you shouldn't get involved in, like Machazikba Azne Kelev Over Mitaber Ariv Lolo later in uh I think the antithesis in this verse is that the short-tempered person will do something stupid but is not necessarily hated for it. Naaman would be a good example. When Elisha tells him that if he you know, bathes in the Jordan, that will hear, heal his sarat, he completely loses it by himself, by Like if what, you know, I expected much more than just to be told to jump into a local river. And he's finally persuaded that, you know, he ought to give it a try. And, you know, lo and behold, he's healed. Haman, on the other hand, sits and plots and plots and plots and plots and plots and ends up, he thought that was going to make him yina say, but you know, you know, mimal. But it ended up making him hated and destroyed. So the parallel is that you can do a great deal more harm with an elaborate plot than you usually can with a short temper. Uh, this pasuk has two of the words that are used for foolish people. Mishlei specializes in those type of words. We also have Kasil, and we also have Peti, all four of the words that featured in chapter 14. In fact, between the, the big four, featured 17 times. 
so, you know, it's something to, to think about because these are sort of specialized words. You don't really see them much outside wisdom literature. They're essentially the anti-wise. Um, so the anti-wise, you know, the petty, proceeds to pass on their foolishness to their kids. And, but of course, wise people crown themselves with wisdom. This is more of a synonymous proverb. The wicked bow down before the good, and they also have to beg at the gates of the righteous. Unfortunately in life, a lot of times people think that their friends are really friendly to them because they like them, but the fact is they're friendly with them because they have something to gain out of their friendship. And when a person becomes poor, even their friends don't want to have anything to do with them, whereas the rich person always seems to have lots and lots of friends. Of course, the point of the the proverb is, of the mashal, is that Friends really here mean acquaintances, okay? These people don't like you. They don't like the rich person either. They're just friends for what they can get out of you. And if they can get more out of a rich person, they'll be friends with the rich person. The true friend is someone who's with you no matter whether you're rich or poor. Also, Kri is Anavin. Very important to realize that in Tanakh, aniyim doesn't necessarily mean poor. And the fact that the word often switches with anavin basically means more like humble, somebody who basically, and even more, suffering. Well, does not necessarily have to mean he was humble. It could also mean he suffered more than anybody else. After all, at the very moment that the Torah places that pasuk, it's after we hear that Moshe's own brother and sister are saying Lashon Hurrah about him. This is right after the chapter where B'nai Yisrael are complaining about it. And in other words, Moshe has to suffer more than anyone, and he's a very long-suffering person. However, a person, you know, verse 21 is, is sort of amplifying what is said in verse 20. Verse 21 is saying that, you know, a true person does not despise their friends. And if they do, they're making a serious mistake. And a person who is considerate for the suffering of people who are in reduced circumstances, ashrav, ashray in a Tanakh doesn't actually mean so much happy as Raui Litihila, he should be praised, or she should be praised. In other words, like in Shira Shirim, the beautiful woman is stated, is described as Rauhu Malachim by Ashruha, meaning anyone who sees her will praise her beauty. Okay, not that she's happy. Okay, in other words, the point is that a person who does what most people don't do, which is run away from people in reduced circumstances, this is a person who's worthy of praise. The people who plot wickedness often, and in fact, usually go astray. 
Look at Yosef's brothers. They're a very elaborate plot where it leads them. Look at Haman's plot, okay? Plots generally in the Tanakh don't go very well. You know, when you hear the word Kesher in the Tanakh, which means a plot, usually it's from the person who's the victim of the plot or the person whose the per- plot went wrong. Whereas the person who tries to plan something good is usually going to end up with a response that's good. Now, here we have to get clear what the phrase chesed ve'emet means in Tanakh. Chesed ve'emet means the kind of relationship between people that you can count on. That's exactly why this proverb and this pasuk is placed in line with the other four psukim that we just read. Because the point of it is, when are people going to be dependable and when are they not going to be dependable? Um, you know, when, 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 when Yaakov says to Yosef, he means, I have to be able to rely on you in this because basically I have no way of being certain you're going to do this unless I really can trust you and rely on you. You owe this to me. In other words, this is a relationship that I can ask you to do this and expect you to carry it out. In other words, uh, the fundamental idea of chesed v'yemet is in human relationships between people. When Hashem does chesed v'yemet, it means he's doing it without ever having necessarily had a relationship. He's just bestowing it. But when the praise is used between people, it means people who can be dependable in their relationships with each other. Okay, from now on, the parak is going to talk more about verbal issues, people who speak the wrong thing and, you know, as a result cause, you know, problems. Uh, means pain that comes out of labor. is the original pain coming out of labor. You're going to have to work. So, means your gain is in proportion, you know, no pain, no gain. That's how you would say that in English. And the people who talk, they don't basically gain anything. All they do is talk. Idle chatter is pure lost translates JPS. And I think this is perfect. That's exactly what the point is trying to make. People talk when they ought to be working. People talk when they should be learning Torah. People talk when they should be doing activities that are productive. Talking is really a productive activity. You know, it's just another way to waste time. It's a socially acceptable way of wasting time. Like watching television. You know, socially acceptable ways to waste time, except television is not so socially acceptable. Talking is a little more socially acceptable. But basically, you spend too much time talking, you're going to be in want. Pasuk 24 goes back to Pasuk um, 18. In other words, the idea being, what is the crown of the wise, the riches of the wise of their wisdom, whereas the folly of the poor is folly. In other words, you know, this is like a statement like business is business. You can count on the stupidity of the poor, of the, of the stupid. Uh, that's just what they're about. 
stupidity is their enterprise. They don't even want to basically get corrected. That's their enterprise. If somebody would show them the right way, which would of course mean they have to do some work, that would not be, that would go over with them. The person who comes and tells the truth is a person who can actually save lives because only too often there are false witnesses out there who are essentially, their testimony is going to send somebody to their death or to prison or to some other horrible outcome. So the one person who comes along and is volunteering to tell the truth Everyone knows what happens when there's a crime or something that the police need testimony. Nobody wants to testify. So the result of that is the wrong person goes to prison. Okay, people understand that their duty as good citizens is to vote. But very few people think that their duty as good citizens is to testify in a criminal case, even if they happen to be someone who actually saw what happened. So the result is, who do the newspapers talk to? The people who want to testify and testify incorrectly. This isn't just an issue of the courts. It's an issue of what gets out there. Look, for example, this year, how many stories got out there, which once they actually came to court, became apparent that the newspapers were only believing the first people the journalists interviewed. And after somebody took the trouble to find, you know, people who really were at the scene and weren't making up stories, it turns out that the story is completely different. Remember the story about the man who was claimed to have a book when he actually had a gun? You know, this is the type of thing that Mishle is telling you. It's absolutely important you save a life by testifying Truthfully. The next pasuk is As I said in the beginning, does not mean fear and trembling in front of Hashem. It basically means knowing that Hashem watches everything you do and consequently always choosing to do the right thing. That's what Yirat Hashem means. Avat Hashem means doing the right thing just because you love Hashem, not because you fear that Hashem's going to punish you. With a parent, a child will sometimes do something because they fear punishment, but it's much better to get a child to do something because they love to do the right thing. Barovam hadrat melech, ube'efes la'om mechitat razon. Chazal saw this pasuk to mean that, you know, it's better to have one big shul than to have lots of small shuls. However, most people today do not agree with this. Uh, and I, I don't think this is the pshat either. The pshat is that the, the king, the ruler that has the most of population is the most powerful ruler, you know, is the people that people look up to, you know. The President of the United States is looked up to a lot more than the President of Guatemala, you know. That's basically what it means. If you don't have a real nation to back you, then for all practical purposes, the razon. Here, razon means the prince. It does not mean razon in the sense of mashmanenu al yehi razon. That means hunger. Here, razon comes from the root that means the prince. Okay? Erech apayim rav tevuna u'kitsar ruach merim ivelet. This also goes back to the kitsar ruach before. That a smart person is in no hurry to make decisions 
Patience is the thing that basically is the path of wisdom. And the person who is in such a hurry to do something without thinking it through ends up with an, uh, a, a foolish uh, outcome. Now, of course, in English you have proverbs like this too, but you also have to realize the proverbs sometimes oppose each other, as they do in Mishlei. For example, in English you have, he who hesitates is lost, but you also have, look before you leap. So which is it? The answer is there's some situations where you have to basically do your actions quickly, and some where you have to basically consider a great deal what you're going to do. The second way outnumbers the first. That's the force of the of Pasuk uh, 29. This should be read as Lev Marpei Chaye Besarim, that the heart, in other words, here it doesn't really mean heart, it really means more like the, 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 the kind of person who basically, you know, thinks about living in a way where they're not going to be jumping all the time, you know, they, they have a calm disposition, they're going to enjoy the life of the flesh better than a person who's always envious of other people. Like Chazal say, you know, what's... Um, Envy is essentially one of the worst human emotions and causes perhaps more problems in society than any other human emotion. A person who basically is happy with their own lot and isn't envious of others has a much happier life. You know, what they're saying is envy eats away people, and it does. Remember, envy is something, is a feeling that you have that you want something that you don't have. Jealousy is to protect something you do have. This is not the same at all. Jealousy is an acceptable emotion, but envy is not. All envy does is basically lead a person to an unhealthy life. This is one of the greatest uh, proverbs in Mishle about Aniyim, uh, about the poor. The person who essentially withholds what they should be doing for the poor is essentially cursing Hashem because Hashem is the person who created the poor. Every person, whether rich or poor, is created with selling all him. And a person who basically mistreats the poor is consequently mistreating Hashem. And a person who wants to honor Hashem, will show pity for the poor, will basically try to be gracious to the poor. Now this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with giving money to the poor. There's a question of how you treat the poor altogether. You know, how you talk to them, okay? How you, how you interact with them. How you interact with people who don't have as much as you have, okay? The letter carrier, you know? Ordinary people will come to the door, you know? People you come across in life who are not on the same financial station as you are, but just the same, they're human beings just like you are, you know? How do you talk to them? How do you treat them, okay? You have to remember, Mishlei says, Every human being is created in selling of him and act accordingly. Again, 
the, uh, the wicked person slips and falls, you know, at Ragli Midechi, okay, in his wickedness. And the righteous man can look to death without any fear because they know that they lived a good life. When a person has a sensible mind, wisdom is what rests on that sensible mind. Whereas a person who's a kisir, a fool, everyone knows right off the bat what fools they are. In other words, everyone experiences their foolishness as soon as they open up their mouth. Here the word yada means more to experience, to get out, okay? No one's going to even remember it ever happened. Not that they don't know what happened. It's just they won't feel it anymore. As soon as a stupid person opens up their mouth, you feel how stupid they are. Righteousness is what elevates the nation. And wickedness is what brings it down. Here I think the word chesed is used the way it is once in Sefer Vayikra to mean an evil deed rather than a good deed. It's only used that way perhaps two or three times in the whole Tanakh. But it does have that meaning, and I think that's basically what it means here. In other words, nations are known by their behavior. You know, a nation that behaves well is it got a reputation as a nation that basically does the right thing sometimes acting against its own interests, horrors. A nation that, you know, does not behave well is also known for, for its wickedness. Let's take North Korea as an example of, you know, a nation that acts with wickedness and a nation that behaves well. Well, let's take Denmark. Bernie Sanders was, you know, made a whole thing about Denmark is the nation we should try to be like and Hillary Clinton answered, but we're never going to be like Denmark. The United States is not Denmark. Still, he was trying to make a point, but Denmark has a reputation for acting for its principles and not necessarily for its interests. And that's how you get your reputation, by acting for principle, even if it's against your own interest. Ritzon melech le'evet maskil ve'evratol t'yemevish. Meshley is now going to discuss here what are called king proverbs, like there are royal psalms. Here, there aren't many, but they're going to be a lot more as we get as we move along in the rest of the book. Second half of the book has a good deal more than the first half of the book does. And wisdom literature in general is concerned about how one acts in the presence of high officials. So obviously the, 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 the servant, and here it just means like a cabinet officer, it does not mean like God de paro. And it does not mean that, the, you know, the person who, uh, you know, cleans up the house of the king. It means like a cabinet minister. And obviously the person who does the right, the smart thing is going to please the king. But if a person does the wrong thing, they're going to suffer the wrath of the king, and that's going to lead to a very unfortunate outcome for that person. With this, we finish chapter Yudalit, Shalom, and tomorrow we'll begin uh, chapter Tetvav with Ma'anei Rach Yoshim Chaymat.